Please remain standing. Let's read together. Follow along as I read this passage to us. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples, a great crowd, went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother. She was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and he said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and he touched the bear, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. Pray with me. Lord, we do thank you for your word this morning. We thank you that you have brought this to us, that we might enjoy the preaching today, the teaching that comes from your word today. Lord, I pray that we would have the eyes of the Savior today that we too would be able to see with compassion on those who are hurting, those who are downcast, those who are low today. Lord, lift us all up today by your grace and your mercy. You looked upon us with compassion. You saw that we could not help ourselves from our own sin. But Lord Jesus, you provided a way through your death, burial, and resurrection. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, today we hear these words in our ears. May the Spirit bring it to our hearts today. Give us this love and caring for others. We do pray all these things in the strong name of Jesus. And we say concerning this, the word of God, all thanks be to God. You may be seated. thinking about traffic stops this week. This may be the greatest traffic stop in the history of the world. As this funeral procession was going out, traffic stops all too often these days are in the news for their bad outcomes and and bad consequences. But Jesus is somebody who is wholly different And uh, when Jesus comes and and stops the traffic, uh, life occurs. Uh, Life comes forward in places where there was death before. We've been looking in this series about people flocking to Jesus or just the various encounters that people have 
with Christ and what it is that draws them in, what it is that uh, captivates or holds them. And, and one of the things that we've been observing is that it is all different types of people, uh, men, women, rich, poor, uh, people who are in desperate need, other folks who are coming to just examine and more philosophically debate. I mean, there's just all sorts of reasons uh, for people to have encounters with Jesus. And then there's all sorts of journeys that people have. This one is very interesting in that this is not a person who was looking for Jesus. Uh, this was a person who was absorbed in her own grief. Uh, this was a person who seemingly had no capacity uh, to even seek out Jesus at the particular time. But she is found by Jesus. Certainly, you know, as we go this morning, you know, as Jerry prayed, we, we want to have the eyes of Christ. We, we want to be able to see like he does. But I think also, concurrently, uh, we recognize that some of our journeys mirror that of this woman. You, you may feel incapacitated in your own grief. You may feel incapacitated uh, just in the circumstances of your life. Part of what we want to uh, recognize about Jesus and be encouraged about this morning is that he sees us. Um, and that's really good news. So, let's go through this text. I just have uh, two points for you this morning. We are seen and, and we are saved. Uh, make our observations uh, about this text. It, it is set. Uh, and the setting is always important with these things. Nain um, is a town uh, in, in the Judean region that has a history, and, and the history is the, that of the prophets Elijah and Elisha. Uh, some of you know that they both had miracles where they raised young boys, uh, the widow's son, and actually some of the text in that particular area, Elijah, when he raises the widow's son, he gives her back to his mother. Uh, same sort of phrasing that is used here in Luke chapter 7. Uh, Elisha raised the Shunammite son. Shunam is the exact same region uh, as Nain. And so when they say a great prophet has risen among us, you know, this is the local lore. This is the local legend that was there. So the setting is always important. As you recognize, there is, there is a, a great loss that has occurred. And, and this is really sort of the first subpoint under this idea that we are seen. We're seen in the midst of our, our loss. Uh, this woman has, we're told several things about her. She's a widow, so that means she's lost her husband. Uh, this is her son, uh, a young man, it appears, in some way, shape, or form. Uh, but it's her only son, uh, and, and she is now going out to bury him. Obviously, there's the relational loss. 
uh, as she loses, she who has already lost a husband now loses her only son. Uh, there's a loneliness, I'm sure, that comes with that. There's the prospect of a life without being able to talk to these people that you have loved. And that's really difficult. I mean, we recognize that when we experience this kind of, of loss, there is a, uh, there, there's just a darkness to it. We feel the shadows that we just sung about uh, coming in around us. C.S. Lewis in A Grief Observed, you know, as he's thinking about the loss of his wife, he says, I look up in the night sky. Is anything more certain than that in all of those vast times and places, if I were allowed to search them, I should nowhere find her face, her voice, her touch. She died. She is dead. Is the word so difficult to learn? And just wrestling with that, the finality of death and loss and the loneliness that comes with it. Jesus sees her in the middle of this. She can't see anything else, perhaps. You know, she's just blacked out. But Jesus sees her. And he, that's not only a relational loss for her, because these details also help us to recognize that she is in dire financial straits. Uh, in, in those days, uh, in the days when it is already a political mess there, it's a war-torn country, they are under subjugation of, of the Romans, now she has no provider. She has no husband who would ordinarily provide for her. If the husband is gone, it would be the son. Uh, the son who would go out and gain the provision. It would be the husband or the son, the, the men of the household who would be her advocate in court, who would stand up for her if she needed anything. And all of that is taken away. So compound the relational loss with the, the socioeconomic losses with her position, and you realize that she really is destitute. I like how Gloria depicted the woman on the front of the bulletin just with that huge puddle of tears. You know, her, her losses are so substantial. Uh, she is feeling uh, so alone, so devastated, so hopeless in this particular moment. Again, perhaps some of you relate right here with her. Uh, the losses that you have sustained over the years, uh, the, the feelings of, uh, of loneliness, the feelings of, of helplessness, of abandonment, uh, the feelings of, can, can I really go on? You know, they sometimes manifest themselves in our lives, depression, uh, anxiousness, uh, just despair over our particular situation. The good news is Jesus sees. This is part of who God is. God always sees the, the lonely and, and the vulnerable. Great story in Genesis chapter 16. Uh, Hagar, who is the slave of uh, Sarai, 
uh, who is given to Abraham. You remember she goes in, Abraham uh, and Hagar are able to conceive, but this just brings out bitterness in, in Sarai, and, and Sarai treats her poorly so that Hagar runs away. Uh, and she's underneath, uh, you know, just, uh, you know, in a place where she's just ready to die. But God sees her, and he comes to her, and he makes promises to her, so much so that she says, you are a God who sees. Uh, and she even named the place Beer Lahai Roy, you know, God it's the well of the living and seeing one. Uh, that is who God has manifested himself to her. And it's interesting, too, to note, you know, in the text here in Luke, that not only does God see, but he has compassion. A and maybe that is sort of understood. God moves towards her. You know, he, he sees her, but he doesn't just leave her there. You know, sometimes we see, but then like in Luke chapter 10, when we have the parable of the Good Samaritan, the, uh, the priest and the Levite, they saw the man who was beaten on the side of the road, but they crossed over to the other side and they just kept passing by. You know, it could be the case that we can see, we can see devastation around us, we can see loneliness, we can observe that people are feeling very destitute, but not move towards them. Our hearts aren't warmed in that direction. That is not the case with Jesus. That is not who God is, whether we are Hagar or whether we are this woman or whether we are in our own loneliness or brokenness, God sees and has compassion. You know, as you look through the Old Testament, this is a theme that comes out with the identity of God. We read it in uh, Psalm 68, our call to worship this morning. Father of the fatherless, you know, protector of widows, is the Lord in his holy habitation. This is who God is. His identity is compassion. His eyes see and his heart moves. You know, there's a couple of other places where this formula comes up in Luke in particular. He saw and had compassion. One I already mentioned, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. The Samaritan, in contrast to the priest and the Levite, he saw and had compassion, and he went and he bound up the wounds of the man that was beaten on the side of the road. The other one is in another parable that Jesus told, and that is the parable of the two sons, or the prodigal son. You know, the father, as he was looking out for the one who had distanced himself from the family, who had squandered all of the wealth, he saw him, and he had compassion on him, and he ran towards him. Again, good news here. Good news for us, for we recognize that in some way, shape, or form, we need to be seen. You know, whether it's our own destitution from the circumstances of our life, or like the, the son, the younger son in the prodigal 
uh, or the parable or the older son who has distanced himself in other ways. We, we need God to move towards us. We need to not only be seen, but, but we need the heart of God to be moved towards us. And the testimony of the scriptures is this is good news. And I hope for some of you this morning that, that it's, it's moving news. You know, you may feel like, whether through circumstances or your own choices, that you're too far away. God's not interested. I'm not flocking to him. But this story helps us to understand that for some of us, the journey isn't about us flocking to him, but it's about him seeing and moving towards us. And I do think that that is, I've already alluded to this, one of the highlights of this story. Uh, this story is not so much about this woman's faith. Uh, she maybe has faith, we're just, we're not told. Uh, that, that's not the point of this story. This woman's encounter with Jesus, this woman's journey uh, uh, into a experience of, of newness of life as she receives her son back, she receives her life back in so many ways. Uh, this woman's journey is one that is about God coming to her. Uh, contrast with the Syrophoenician woman, you know, last week we just saw her persistent, her insistent faith, you know, have mercy. Well, it's not right, you know. But take the, the crumbs, you know. She was so insistent, so, in, so persistent. Th this woman doesn't do anything. Jesus just comes to her and says, stop your crying. Stop your crying. I am moving in your life. And one of the things I think, you know, that hopefully we're getting through this is that there is not one way to come to Jesus. You know, sometimes we can, within the church, get so formulaic. You know, it happens this way or that way. But we've seen with, with Nicodemus, he came to Jesus with questions. Jesus gave him space and time to think and to observe and, and to work it out. You know, the, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, she right away, you know, Jesus said something. She said, I perceive that you are a prophet, and her heart was changed, and she was out. She was proclaiming, this woman is, is yet another journey, one that began with grief and that ends with newness of life, uh, something that she didn't initiate. And so let's be, uh, let's be patient with each other. Uh, let's uh, have eyes to see that the journeys might be different. Let's encourage one another where they are in that journey. And let's uh, seek to strengthen one another at that point. You know, I think about this sometimes as a parent. I would love for my kids all to have just this, you know, straight line, always going up journey. It hasn't always worked that way. Uh, and, and sometimes even... As parents, I, I know for many of you, this is like your greatest grief in life is like, where are my kids with relationship uh, in relation to the Lord? And, uh, you know, I, I talk to people at, at different stages of life, you know, got folks like me kind of in their 50s, you're watching your kids grow into adulthood, but then there are some in the generation above and saying, will it ever happen? 
And, and uh, sometimes it may not be in our lifetime. But the, the, the hope is, is that God sees and God moves towards. And, and one thing that I can tell you is that God loves our kids way more than we ever will. Uh, and, and our hope isn't in what we can muster up or what our kids could muster up. You know, our hope is in a God who sees and has compassion and moves towards them. And he moves towards them to save. So we are seen in our lostness. We are seen with compassion. We are seen even if we cannot muster up faith on our own. But then also we are saved. There are a couple of different things I want to point out to you here. Uh, God comes with his power. You know, I think about, uh, you know, going to a funeral. And some of you have been in these lines uh, both uh, on either end where uh, you're going and, and you're thinking to yourself, like, what am I going to say to this person? Other times you've been in the line and you're receiving people. Sometimes it's very difficult. I just remember... You know, when our daughter passed away and just so many people came and, and blessed us with their love. But, you know, sometimes people say things that, that they, I know they mean well, but they just don't come out right. Uh, you've been in those situations. Um, you know, Jesus says here something that you usually don't say at a funeral. You know, he goes to her and he says, stop crying. <laughs> uh, now, that's not really the appropriate thing for us to say uh, because we, you know, we've leaned into lament and we recognize that brokenness is part of the world and uh, that, you know, crying is good. Jesus even cries at different uh, places. We think most significantly of when he comes to his friend Lazarus's tomb, Jesus weeps. Uh, in that way. But here, he comes not just as a fellow mourner. Notice there's a considerable crowd with this woman, but Jesus is coming to her as a Savior. And Jesus is saying, you can stop your crying because not only do I have compassion, but I also have power. A and I can do something about this situation that you are in, and I am about to do something uh, about this situation that, he, uh, that you are in. And so he goes and he does this very shocking thing. Like he walks up the procession, you know, the traffic is, is moving through the town. They're heading out to the place of burial. And, and he walks up and he touches, he places his hand on the beer, the open casket. And, uh, and it says, everybody stopped. Well, yeah, everybody stopped because you don't do that. You know, we've been talking a little bit uh, in these last few weeks about cleanliness laws, the clean and the unclean, and, and how when you are unclean, or if you, if you are clean and you touch something that is unclean, you become unclean yourself. So here's Jesus, one who is presumed to be a rabbi, and he is coming up and he is touching 
this beer. He's touching this casket, the one that uh, contains the dead person, the uncleanness. And, and when Jesus does this, the, the crowd is like, what are you doing? Don't you know better? Don't you know that if you touch this, you are going to become unclean? But Jesus is doing a couple of things here. He is demonstrating that his power works the opposite way. We've been talking about this over the course of the last couple of weeks. Jesus is such that uh, he reverses the ceremonial order. Rather than the clean becoming unclean at, at, the, at this touch, it, it's the other way around. The unclean, the dead, the foul becomes clean, becomes alive again, is, is invigorated with life. Vitality flows from Jesus to this boy, and he sits up and he begins talking. But the other thing that Jesus shows us here, not only is he... Uh, bringing life, bringing cleanliness to this unclean situation. But he is willing. And in fact, his path lays through suffering and uncleanness and death. Because what we see here is we, we see a picture of how Jesus is bringing vitality back into the world. You know, Jesus isn't doing it by, by staying apart from the contamination. Jesus enters into the contamination, and that's what the incarnation is all about. Jesus enters in. He takes on human flesh. He becomes a slave. Jesus enters into our world to be contaminated in order that he might go to a cross, the ultimate place of cursing, the ultimate place of dereliction, the other ultimate place of abandonment. He was pinned up like a specimen naked outside of humanity, as it were. That's how the Romans thought about crucifixion. But Jesus went to that cross in order to bring life. There is something for us here. I mean, there's lots of it for us here as we're in the season of Lent and we're reflecting on the cross. You know, we obviously think about the great love of our Savior who would enter into a world who would go through that in order that we might have life. But we also remember that, that this is the gospel order. You know, we, we don't like this so much, but, but the gospel order is that death brings life. You know, and, and we know this in terms of our own uh, personal experience with Jesus. Like, we have to die to ourselves in order that we might live. We, we need to go down in order to go up. This is the gospel story. It's only when we, when we acknowledge that. We're far worse off than we, we ever thought, ever could have imagined. We, we come in repentance, which is a, a form of dying to ourselves. It's only when we recognize that, that's when we, we see the, the true path to life. Uh, the paths of the dead bring 
the life that we so desire. And Jesus shows us that as he comes and he touches the beer. And the result is two things. One I already alluded to, he brings back life. I mean, think of everything that this woman, woman gets back. She gets back her son. She gets back the relationship. She gets back the conversation. You know, he sits up and he begins speaking right away. What did he say? <laughs> Was he happy to be back? I always, you know, I wonder that. Like, you know, if you had passed on, I, you know, these are the kind of questions. What was his life like afterwards? What sort of testimony did he have? I, I don't know, but he was back to life. He was back to these relationships with his mother and with the considerable crowd in the town. They all would have known him. Uh, there was a life received. She once again had an income. She had an advocate. You know, all of these things that she had lost were restored to her. Now, we're not promised all of that in this life, but God is merciful and gracious, and he gives us what we need, whether it be an internal fortification, you know, a faith, a peace, uh, even in the midst of trouble, or he meets us very, very tangibly, and he gives us healing, he gives us a job, he gives us uh, a spouse or a child or any of these things that we are longing for. Uh, it happens in different ways, but here he returns this woman uh, along with her son. Uh, he returns them to life again. And notice then, secondly, and this is kind of my third sub-point here, we've, we've got the, uh, you know, touching the beer, the, the return, or the path of life, the return to life, and, and then we have the response of life. You notice in, in verse 16, it says, great fear sees them. <laughs> yeah, I guess it probably did. You know, if, if a dead man sat up in our midst today, great fear would seize us. Uh, you know, fear in terms of maybe the supernatural, you know, ghosts, that kind of stuff, but certainly awe, wonderment, like what is happening here? Like great fear seized them, and, and they began to testify this, you know, a prophet has arisen among us. Again, connecting with their story, connecting with the things that they knew, and, and they were on a journey. They began with the sense of awe. They start to put the pieces together. Like, this isn't just a prophet. This is the prophet. This is the one who is greater than Elisha. This is the one who doesn't come to just testify to goodness, but to bring goodness. And they begin to wonder this. Wonder, awe, fear. These are really important things for us to think about. Actually, there was an article this past week in the New York Times uh, about the, the role of awe or wonder, awe, A-W-E, uh, or wonder in our lives. It was an interesting article because they had all these scientific benefits. It was not religious. It was not from a, a religious point of view at all. It was all about um, just the scientific benefits of awe. Uh, if if we can have wonder in our lives, we will uh, see anxiety reduced. We will be happier. All of these different things in terms of the article. And as I read it, I thought, 
I agree with that. <laughs> I, I think that there's, there's a lot of truth in this article, but, but where it fell short was where is the greatest source of awe? I mean, we look at a baby being born, and there is awe. You have a, a contact. They mentioned the Dalai Lama. If you have a contact with the Dalai Lama, there might be a sense of awe. Or maybe it's your favorite musician or sports star. You know, there's going to be a sense of awe in that. But if you meet Jesus, and if you meet the God who raises the dead, if you see this one who has come to offer life, you know, there is a wonder that will work wonders in your life as we continue to go forward. The greatest traffic stop in history. Here it is. I like how uh, Rebecca McLaughlin uh, sums it up. She's a thoughtful disciple of Jesus along the way. She says, the Bible doesn't promise us that Jesus will always heal our loved ones when we ask. In fact, we can't expect the heartache of separation to invade our lives like Lewis, like this woman, others. But it does promise us that Jesus will be with us in our pain and that one day he will speak life into the dead just as he spoke life into this broken widow's son. Will you pray with me? Father, our, our hope today is uh, built on nothing less than your blood and your righteousness that has come into this world to make the dead live again, that sees us, that has compassion on us, that moves towards us. Lord, I, I pray for us here. We're gathered with a myriad of different stories, as many different stories as there are people here. And Lord, we, we need you. We, we need you to see us in our pain. We need you to see us in our, our destitution, our, our dereliction. We need you to move towards us. We need you to strengthen us so that we can, in turn, go and and strengthen others and come close to them and testify to the one who is greater than Elisha, who has come to save this world. Thank you for not despising the cross. Thank you for making a way for us, broken as we are, uh, to know newness of life. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.